If you're, uh, if you're like me, every once in a while, you're wondering what it is you're doing wrong. Every once in a while. And especially um, with respect to God. Uh, and uh, by wrong, I'm not talking about sin. Uh, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, stuff that you're doing that's naughty and you know God's upset about. I'm not talking about that stuff. Uh, last week, you know, one of the things we talked about was that, that peace with God comes not through anything that we do. Peace with God, having our, our slate wiped clean, uh, light, uh, wiped clean, all of our sorries and whatnot, those, those go to God um, through faith in his, in his Son who sacrificed himself for us. And so that, that's taken care of. But then, you know, after that happens and, and we're right with God, sometimes it, it might feel like you might be wondering whether or not what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and how you're living your life on a day-to-day basis is really something that makes him happy. Is God, okay, God's not worried about sin. That's taken care of, okay. But God's looking at our lives and, and, our, and we might be wondering, God, are you pleased? You know, do, do you like what you see? When you look at us, um, the, the actions and the attitudes that, that we have, are they the kinds of things that are appropriate for you? Are we living in such a way that you're happy? Now, if you think of your relationship with God a little bit like a relationship with a significant other, a spouse or a girlfriend or a husband or a boyfriend, then you might think of it like this. Um, there are times I know when I've done wrong with Aaron, and we're not talking about those times. We're talking about the times where I'm just not sure I'm doing my best with Aaron. Okay, no, I'm not doing anything wrong, just is this great for her? So for example, for me, a paradigm example is uh, watching TV. This is something, you know, we wait till the kids go to sleep. It's like eight o'clock. We've got a precious hour and a half, you know, before we got, so we've really got to make it count as we sit there on the couch and the TV comes on. And then there's a question, what are we going to watch? Now, the answer for Aaron is Fixer Upper, starring Chip and Joanna Gaines. Uh, it's on HGTV. Uh, what, a, what a lovely couple from Waco, Texas. I'm a big fan. I really am. Chip seems like a really great guy. If you haven't checked it out, it's a, it's a very cute show. Um, and and they're, they're great. Uh, but if I had to choose... I probably wouldn't select Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines from Waco, Texas. I'm not super concerned about, honestly, I'll, I'll be on Aaron, I'm sorry, all those houses kind of look the same. Like, it's, it's, it's shiplap, it's like distressed this, I get it. She's got a great style, I think it's awesome. But it's really not, it doesn't motivate me deeply in a strong, you know, deep way. If I had a choice, I probably would switch to something like the Sci-Fi Channel. And there would be, like, um, zombies or aliens, uh, you know, a murder mystery, some laser guns. I mean, just something cool, right? And so I, so if, but, but so I'm sitting there, oh, and a sweet, precious hour and a half. That's all we've got. And the question is, what am I going to do in such a way that, you know, I want to make her happy? And that's real easy. It's real easy with us. It's, that's Chip and Joanna. We haven't watched that show in weeks because, you know, I can't help it. I've been I'm putting my own stuff on. And, but I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a change, Aaron, I promise. I'm going to turn it around. Um, but you, you might think that it's not like watching sci-fi channels right or wrong. It's just different, right? It's just a choice. And, and I know that there's something I could be doing that's a little bit different than what I am doing that would really make her happy. And maybe something similar is going on with God. 
moreover, uh, today is our annual business meeting. Typically, in the last 10 years, uh, uh, Neil would do like a, um, a, state of the, a state of the union address, like a state of the church, you know, and, uh, you know, we kind of, this is where we've been, um, and this is where we're headed. These are, um, these are pump-up moments for the people. It's like, hey, everything's awesome. We're going in this direction. I didn't want to do one of these. Uh, I, said, I said, Dan, I'm going to roll it into the sermon. So, so here you go. The re- one of the reasons I don't want to do the state of the union address is that because on objective measures— you know, the things that you can measure, I, I wonder, maybe we're doing something wrong here. Sometimes I worry about this. Uh, if I'm being brutally honest with you, uh, since September, our average attendance has been as low, the lowest it's been since 2007. Literally 10 years. That's pretty low. That's pretty discouraging. Not only that, we've suffered tremendous loss. Not only this last year, but even in the year before it. In 2015, we had a number of blessed saints go home to be with the Lord. People who were foundational pillars of our church. People that I'd grown up depending on, um, loving and and knowing that they would lead me. And they they were gone. This past year, we lost also Dale Hickey. And then, of course, um, the most obvious loss was our senior pastor and his family. Gone. A pretty tough transition. And if I'm being honest and I'm looking at the state of the church, I'm a little worried. God, maybe we're not doing it right. It seems like like there's a lot of places out there where they are doing it right and things are different and perfect and wonderful. And and, and I wonder, are we doing it wrong? That worries me a little bit. I wonder, is, is this what we're doing here really pleasing you, God? Uh, on the screen there, you see um, liturgy, right? If, if you know the word liturgy, liturgy is usually a reserve for more like high church, um, you know, Episcopalian, Anglican, uh, uh, Russian, Greek Orthodox, Catholic church, uh, sometimes Lutheran and Presbyterian churches as well. Um, you can see it's a lot of pomp and circumstance, right? A lot of, if some of you maybe grew up Catholic or, or in, in a high church tra- tradition, you're familiar with this. It's like there's this awe and there's experience. And maybe that's, what God's looking for. Maybe God's not happy with what we're doing. Well, that's a a pretty good question. What is it? What kind of worship is it that really pleases God? What kind of life do we live and lead that really pleases God? That's the question we're going to be asking today. Our text today is uh, Romans 12, 1-2. It's on the back of your note sheets. It's also um, in your pew Bibles if you want to look there. It'll also be on the screen. What's fascinating about this text is that in it, Paul is literally going to answer this question. He's going to tell us exactly what kind of worship, what kind of life is pleasing to God. And we're going to think about that in terms of our own lives and also in our corporate life as this church, as Coast Bible Church. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to live in such a way and worship in such a way that God looks down with joy, with satisfaction, with pleasure at what we're doing. Let's read it together. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, or you could, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove 
what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? It's a little um, obscured here in the first verse. Uh, the, when the New King James translators were translating this text, they, they, wanted, they were self-conscious about distancing the language as much as they could from temple and what they thought of as like the law, the old way of doing things. They, 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 they didn't want uh, to associate anything that happened with the church with stuff that happened in, the, in, in Jewish worship. They wanted to say, well, you know, and so they, they, they make some translational decisions that obscure that in fact Paul really is talking about the temple right here. And you can see it when you see that word sacrifice. I mean, sacrifice should just pop into our heads. Uh, sacrifice, we must be talking about the temple, about the, the, the life, the religious life of the ancient world, not just Jews, but pagans as well. I mean, we've talked in the last couple of weeks about sacrifice. I mean, it was a tremendously bloody affair. And to be honest with you, it, it took place almost ubiquitously, almost constantly. You couldn't go to any place in the Roman Empire, any city, any town, without constantly hearing the bleeding of animals, without seeing the blood and the gore, without being confronted by the, the smell of burning meat and the revelry and the feasting that took place. I mean, sacrifice was, was absolutely the way in the ancient world that people got close to God, the way that people pleased God. But besides the word sacrifice, you also see that word present. Well, it really ought to be translated offer. Um, that's the word that's always used in, in, in Greek, uh, when, when, especially in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, to talk about making a sacrifice. You, you offer it up. It's that word right there. You offer yourselves, pres- offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And reasonable service, too, is interesting. Service, uh, that word, actually um, is the word from which we get our word liturgy. Liturgia. Uh, And service isn't really, I mean, really what it means is um, worship. It means um, your, your, your form of worship, the, the ministry you give to God, the way that you worship God, the way that you bless Him, the way that you do things for Him. In fact, uh, the word right before reasonable is, uh, comes from the word logike, which we get our word logical. And so if you, were to, if you were to kind of translate that a little bit more, you know, woodenly, you'd say, um, which is your logical liturgy? Your logical liturgy, the kind of liturgy, the kind of form of worship that makes sense given who God is. Since you know who God is and what he's like, what, would it, what, would it make, what kind of worship would make sense given who he is and what he's like? That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's um, the first thing in your, your note sheets. Reasonable service or logical lir- liturgy is Paul's way of talking about worship that pleases God. That pleases God. Well, since Paul's talking about the Old Testament, since he's talking about sacrifice, we, we should talk about sacrifice. Now again, as Protestants, uh, a lot of us probably tend to associate sacrifice with sin. This is how I get rid of my sin. I, I, you know, the Old Testament, the, this is how we think a lot of times about Jewish religion, is they would offer a sacrifice when they needed to get rid of sin. Not so. Actually, I think the best way to think about sacrifice is to think about a bouquet of flowers. A bouquet of flowers. I am not a good husband, but I am the son of a phenomenal husband. This is something that my dad has always done. Uh, this is great. So my mom is an accountant. Uh, that means that for about three months out of the year, she's completely insane. Um, like, really, just... It's, it's like she's saying words, but 
They, it's, they're jumbled. They make no sense. It's a beautiful thing because she's focused on taxes. Um, well, on April 15th, every year, she gets all the tax. Sometimes it's April 17th if it like falls on a weekend. It's really nasty. Anyway, uh, so she, not this year, I think. She, she finishes up all of her taxes and, and she, she kind of slumps in her chair. Usually she doesn't sleep for about 72 hours during that last final push. Um, and so she's, she's zonked out. She's crazed. Um, and then my dad, you know, he hasn't spoken to her for weeks. Um, he's, but he, he, he walks in with a bouquet of flowers. What does that say? It says, I love you. It says, I appreciate you. It says, you did it. It says, it's over. You can go to sleep now. It says, I still love being with you. Sacrifice in the Old Testament is like giving God a bouquet of flowers. Now, it's true. A bouquet of flowers can mean I'm sorry. It does, often, yes. Uh, you know, when, when I'm in the doghouse, orange roses. Here you go, honey. Um, but that's not all you can do with flowers. And if you're a good husband, you come up with these just random days where you just come home with flowers. Be like, hey, Surprise! I know you're worth it. And that's kind of what, what sacrifice is. And if you follow in the Old Testament and you think about the way that sacrifice works, we notice that there's really kind of three elements of, of what a great sacrifice looks like. And, and the first of these, and this is in your note sheets, is that sacrifice is for God. It's not for us. There's a lot of rules in the Old Testament about what kind of sacrifice it's supposed to be and this, not and the other thing. It's not because God is like really particular. It's not like God's like, this lamb won't do. That's not who God is. The reason that God comes up with these, these rules is to, is to focus us, to remind us, I want you to do these things this way because I want it to be for me, not for you. This sacrifice isn't for you to be happy. It's for me. And so it's for God. It's not for us. The second thing is it's the best available. If you look in the Old Testament over and over, um, we're always looking for like a spotless or, or really just pure looking animal. And it's not as though God is sitting there and God's like, I just can't, it, your, your flowers aren't good enough. They need to be this, this, this. It's not like God's like that. In fact, we learn in the prophets that God really desires mercy more than he loves sacrifice. And yet, he wants to cr come up with these rules so that when people are giving their gifts to him, when they're giving their bouquets to them, they're giving the best that they've got. They're giving the stuff that, that really is hard for them sometimes. They really want it, it. These rules make it so it really is an opportunity for us to say to God, I want you to know how valuable, how valuable you are. I love you. That, that you're worth it. And the last thing that sacrifice does in the ancient world, and we talked about this several weeks ago, is it, it, it brings together God and each other. It brings us together with God and each other. We, we talked about how, like, most of the time and most sacrifices, once the animal is, is slain uh, and, and butchered, the, f the meat is cooked, and then the whole congregation shares in, like, a big barbecue. It's a big grill-out. It's this really fun, festive occasion. And, there's, and because the priest is there, we know that God is pleased with who we are, and so we're close to God. And at the same time, eating and feasting together brings us close to each other. And so that right there is kind of like that, 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 the three kind of things that sacrifice is meant to produce, meant to be like. 
And so if you know that, then when you come to this text and you read it, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, you offer your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable God to God, which is your logical liturgy, your reasonable way of worship, your, your right way of blessing me. Then I think that we can see that what we ought to be doing with our lives, with our very lives, is imitating the, 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 the bouquet of flowers that God receives through sacrifice. And what that means then is that we give God something for him and not for us. That we give God something that the best that we've got, not just, you know, the leftovers. That we, uh, when we're encountering God, we're, we're doing it self-consciously in such a way that we come together with him and with each other. What this might mean in our personal lives is, you know, that, that first thing, for God, not for us. Well, kind of like when I was talking about, you know, choosing a TV show with Aaron, um, I know some of the things that really God loves. I know that he loves justice. I know that he loves mercy. I know that he loves compassion. I know that he loves seeing uh, the broken fixed and healed and I'm sure he probably enjoys watching me play video games too. But, but maybe, maybe if I'm making a choice, I could say, uh, maybe cut back just a little bit on PlayStation 4 and maybe engage myself in some things that I know God actually really loves, that he really enjoys, that really bless him. And when we say it's the best available, I mean, in our, in our personal lives, uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes, I'll be honest, Sometimes I phone it in. I do. I'm not, um, I don't have limitless energy. I'm not, you know, constantly like on fire all the time. And yet, and yet, if God really is this saving, majestic, glorious God, then when I'm seeking to live out a sacrificial life for him, then just like the Israelites chose that best-looking lamb, maybe I need to choose the best that I've got to give him. So that, uh, the Greeks, they, they have the word arete. It means excellence. It, it's this idea that, that whatever you're doing, you, you, there's an ideal for what um, it ought to be like. And you're pursuing that ideal. So if you're, if you're a blacksmith, you know, the idea of arete would be the best darn horseshoe ever made. The horseshoe that makes those, that horse fly across the land. And every time you make a horseshoe, your goal as a blacksmith to pursue excellence is to get the best darn horseshoe that you can possibly imagine. We don't probably make a lot of horseshoes in this congregation, so you don't have to worry about that. But you do make other things. We do make other things. We, um, for those of us who work in an office, we have many reports and memos <laughs> that we must fill out. Uh, for those of us who um, are in sales, we have to make calls and we, we talk to people a lot. For those of us in HR, we have to make decisions about people's lives. And what would it be like to treat every single one of those things as the excellence, the, the spotless lamb, that perfect bouquet of flowers that says to God, I really love you. In the, uh, I, I promise we talk a little bit about our worship service. I, one of the things that's, that's blown, my, blown my mind over the last uh, several months is the way that Doug um, has been so, so mindful of excellence. Um, so mindful of giving his best and, and not doing it for himself, but for God. I, mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he really has been making an incredible 
you know, intention of, of saying, I, I want this music to be the kind of stuff that's going to draw as many people in as possible and set their eyes on God quickly. And, and I want it to be nothing to be distracting. I want everything about it to be as good as we can do because God deserves it. Because it's worth it. And so he's, he's got, he has musicians come to help us. He works really, really hard to choose the music that, that really will engage us and bring us forward. He's putting time, effort, and energy into creating something that is truly, truly excellent. Truly, truly for God and not for himself. It's crazy, you know. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's actually crazy. Christians very often try to make worship about themselves. Um, I, I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, it's true. If you think about um, the way that a worship service goes, and you, and you visit lots of different churches, they, they're trying to create an experience that is 100% user-focused. Because they know that, they, that, that the most important thing is how we feel and, and what we accomplish and what we do. And, and, and all. that's what's really important, Right? It happens up here too. Um, so I'm sitting here and I'm, you know, I'm studying and I'm, and I'm trying to, uh, it's really, really easy for me to say, well, I'm going to write the stuff that matters to me and forget all you people. I want to talk about the things that I want to talk about. I want to make sure that people know what I think about things. Forget what might be in here. And so we can turn something that's designed to be an I love you to God into something that is an I love you to me. The last thing that sacrifice accomplishes, as we noted, is that it brings God and people together. And what does that look like? One of the hardest things is how do you translate that into, into our lives now? You know, you're going to work, and we've very successfully in our country separated, totally separated, our faith life from our work life uh, in order for everyone to get along because it's very uncomfortable when you bring um, your religion or your faith or your beliefs into your work context. And so we have a very strong division between the two. I'm not exactly sure how to overcome that, but I do know this. If your life is a living sacrifice, if you are living sacrificially, then you are finding a way to bring God and people together wherever you go. And now maybe that, uh, maybe that looks like just being more attentive to your coworkers and finding ways to... to, to bless them and, and to, to help heal uh, the broken parts in their lives, I'm not exactly sure. I just know that we're called to be creative and thoughtful in the way that we incorporate, integrate all of our life to become something that brings God and people together. In fact, if we're going to judge a service that we have here, we're going to say, was this a logical liturgy? Was this the kind of thing that blessed God? One of, the way, one of the ways we're going to decide that is we're going to say, did God meet with us? And did we get closer together? At the end of the day, um, what this all means is, it, it, it means, this is the next thing in your note sheets, that living sacri sacrificially demands intentional living. The easiest thing in the world is to just go through life without paying attention to what's going on. The hardest thing in life is to be intentional about what's happening and to recognize that this very moment, whatever that moment is, wherever you are in your life, whatever you're doing, where, wherever you are, you are literally in the middle of a sacrifice to God. 
You are literally in the middle of handing a bouquet of flowers to God that says, you did it. I love you. I appreciate you. You're worth it. I want to be with you. That's what you're doing at every single moment. And if you can attend to that and be intentional about that, then it's possible for you to begin to shape your life and your experiences in such a way that they really are a great bouquet of flowers. That word intentionality, it gets tossed out so much. But it is right. It is right. It's, it's, it's uh, really d- it comes from um, some philosophy about mental states, intentional states. The idea being that, um, you know, you can focus on a whole lot, but only one thing at a time. <laughs> right? For those, so I, yes, apparently some of you have ADHD. And, and, and apparently if you have ADHD or ADD, one of those, you can focus on like 12,000 things at the same time. So you're like playing Minesweeper and you're feeding the baby and you're, you're walking the dog all at the same time. That's incredible. That's not most of us. Most of us actually can only focus on one thing at a time. And so what intentional living is, is a recognition that we are intentional, intentional about making this moment and every moment. And I love you to God. Now, a little bit of context for this, uh, this, this text. Let's uh, read that second verse again. So, um, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the, the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. This is your logical liturgy, your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I mentioned earlier Um, The way that the world of Paul's day thought about a logical liturgy, reasonable service to God. Well, it involved slaughtering animals. It involved, uh, a lot of times, some very um, interesting uh, sexual and and substance-based forms of worship uh, that were very, very um, out of control, very wild. Probably a lot of fun, but probably left people feeling a little bit bad about themselves the next day. This is sort of the idea that the world has of what worship should look like. Paul says, don't be conformed by that, to that. Instead, be transformed. Instead, recognize in your mind, that's not who I am. That's not what I desire. What I desire is mercy, not that. What I desire is your love for justice, not that. What I desire is that you be focused on me, not all of that stuff, all of those things. That's worship that's, that's for them. It's not really for me. You know who I'm like. I'm the one who sent my son to save you. I'm the one who ransomed you. That's the kind of God I am. What kind of stuff do you think matters to me? Do those things. And if you transform your mind that way, you'll start to recognize. It'll become natural to you to recognize that you don't need all of that stuff to make worship good. You don't need to have it be perfect. And these things, these rites that they had were, I mean, tremendous, tremendously powerful uh, visual spectacles. I mean, ima- imagine, literally imagine being with you and your friends and someone literally slaughtering an animal in front of you and chanting and singing and then, and then wine and meat. I mean, it was a truly powerful thing to see ancient sacrifice. And God says, I don't need that to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. Instead, make your bodies living sacrifices to me. that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, Paul has this theory. He has this theory that if you do this, if you do away with all the crazy kind of nonsense 
blood and guts and chanting and all that. If you get rid of all of that, and then you replace it with lives that are themselves worship, then something crazy is going to happen. People are going to look, and they're going to say, I want to be a part of that. This is the last thing in your note sheets. Uh, when Christians live sacrificially, others want to join in. And then there's a reason for this. It's because if you're, if you're able to worship God, and you're able to do it in such a way that, that you're just living out your life in an intentional fashion, everything that you do is going to be soaked, saturated with authenticity, with, with genuineness, with, with real earnest love for others. You're really going to become a part of a community that really is right before God, and you really are going to be living in a way that is utterly compelling to everybody else. You see, the whole reason they have these big spectacles with blood splattering all over the place is they want, they're trying desperately, desperately to create something real, something that feels incredible and authentic and real, something that, that shocks and, and empowers. That's what they're trying to do with, that, with those rituals. And what Paul says is if you simply live this way with each other before God, they are going to see everything they've ever desired in your community, and they're going to want to be a part of it. They're going to say, I don't understand how these people can do without all of them. Hoopla. And yet they love life and they love God. How can this possibly be? In, in just before Romans 12, we had you know, three chapters, 9 through 11, where Paul was talking about the Jews and, and lamenting, really sad over the fact that the Jewish people did not recognize Messiah in Jesus Christ, that they were far from him. And one of the things that Paul says is he says, when God pours out his mercy on you. Notice that at the beginning of our text, right? Um, by the mercies of God. When God pours out his mercies on you, they, the Jewish people, are going to be jealous. Because they're going to see that, that God really is settled with you. That God really is empowering you. And they're going to want to be a part of it too. They're going to be desperate for that. And that's what's going to win them when they see you living as God intended you to live merciful, righteous, joyful between him and each other. It is a little bit tough. Um, to, I, you know, I, I do the graphs, right? Because Colleen gives me the, the attendance numbers and I put them in. It's really cool. There's, it's, a, it's a very, very, very nice uh, curve. It kind of goes like this and then uh, I take over and it goes like this. Just tanks. Actually, I had to lower um, the, the bottom level number just to accommodate how low the, the line's going. <laughs> um, you can see, though, that um, sometimes I worry. Are we doing it right? Are we living and are we worshiping in a way that really blesses God? Well, I just want to share with you, uh, just over the last uh, six to, to nine months, um, some of the changes that we've made that we've been making. We, we, we kind of got down to brass tacks and we, we said we, we really need to, to think through how we're worshiping, how our, our church life is going, and, and we really have become intentional about these services. We really have. I mean, for those of you who've been around a long time, you know, hey, we're on time. So you guys can put your watch by it. And this, it's not me, it's Doug. It's all Doug. Let's give Doug a hand. Doug's running the show. Uh, <laughs> we, we really are in a place where we're... Where, planning things out, and we're really intentional about respecting time, and, and at the same time, filling up with all the content, all the important things, the prayers, and the preaching, and the music, that's so critical for us to worship well. 
not only that, uh, we're being intentional about community. We started up small groups. Um, they were fantastic in the fall. We're going to start them up at the end of February. Uh, there's one rogue group. What, what are you guys called? Like the supper club? The supper club, they, they play by their own rules. It's, uh, it, they are of the small groups. They're like the Clint Eastwood, you know, the rogue cop. Who is like, he walks in, he kicks in the door, he's like, Captain, I'm going after this guy. That's, that's the supper club. If you want to join, you can uh, talk, talk to uh, Lloyd, Monica, Dan, or Kristen Livingston, and they'll, they'll, they'll let you know when they're going to meet. It's a beautiful group. People just get together. You have dinner together. No agenda. It's awesome. Uh, but we, our small groups are happening, so we're really investing in each other and community, um, uh, getting to know one another and living life together. Intentional, I mentioned about music. Uh, and, and we're just being intentional because we as a staff and as volunteers in ministry really believe in this place. And we really believe that 2017 is going to be a banner year. We really believe that the kind of worship that God desires is the kind of worship that happens right here in this place. We really believe that God looks down and is blessed because when he looks and sees us, he sees a whole bunch of people offering up their bodies as living sacrifices to him. Friends, I want you to know, this is the 50th year of Coast Bible Church. 50, 5 uh, J- July 2nd, I think, is our 50th anniversary. 1967, this church was started. Now, uh, we mentioned a couple weeks ago that uh, every 50 years, uh, God instituted a jubilee year in, uh, in, in ancient Israel where all debts were, were canceled, and so there's no more debt. Well, I'm standing before you, and we'll hear in our business meeting, Coast Bible Church in 2017, on our 50th anniversary, is debt-free. We've got no payment on the building, no payment on a parsonage. All we've got to do is keep the lights on. And that's actually really expensive. You'll find out about that. Dustin will tell you. So I don't want, I mean... This isn't like, not quarters here, friends, all right? It's a, it's a serious, serious deal. But we are, we're debt-free. We have a, a, a brand new lease on our future. We are experiencing and celebrating together in this place this year, our year of Jubilee. And I, I think that we can say that, yeah, there have been some drawbacks, some, some, some things that have, have hurt over the last couple of years. But God loves this place, and we bless him with our living sacrificial service. And he is pleased. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God who expects great things from us. Thanks for calling us to give us our best, your best, our best. Thanks for calling us to sacrifice in ways that are for you and not for us. Thanks for calling us to sacrifice in ways that bring you together with us and us together with each other. God, thank you for this church, the church on the hill. I pray that in this, our 50th year, our year of Jubilee, we will recommit and rededicate to being a people that offer our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. Intentional in all that we do, Because, God, you deserve it. You've saved us. You've liberated us. You're worth it. We want to give you what you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.